0: When I was in uh, sixth grade, I was at uh, church on kind of a random Sunday night. Um, I used to go to church all the time because I was very churched as a kid, and my parents were at church all the time, you know, Sunday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Wednesday, you know, over and over again, just like that, like a cycle. So I remember, I, I think it was like Friday or Saturday night, I was just there, and um The one of the teams, one of our missions teams that we were sending out, they started pulling out all these, you know, all the elementary kids were kind of just there. And I was in sixth grade. And so me and all the other sixth graders, we got like pulled out to the side. And I remember, you know, specifically who this was. It was um, James, Pastor James, if any of you guys know who that is. And he pulled me out and he like sat me down and he showed me this, 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 this like diagram and it was like a cliff, you know, on one side, and there was a cliff on the other side, and like God was on this side, and it's supposed to be you on this side, and it was this gospel presentation. He was saying like, yeah, there's no way for you to jump across this big chasm that's in the middle— which represents sin and so no matter what you do you can't reach God and there's all these kind of bridges you try to build you know and there's like good works and there's like philosophy and there's all these kind of different things that you try to do you can't reach them and in the middle at the you know you turn the page and there's this big cross the cross is the way that we get across this big chasm that's in the middle caused by sin because of Jesus, and he died on the cross for us, and he rose again from the dead, and if we have faith in him, you know, you can have eternal life, and you can go across this bridge, and you can get to God. So I'm in sixth grade, you know, and I'm listening to this, and I'm like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just like listening, so absorbing it all. I'm like, yeah, it sounds good. All right, you know, and at the end, they're like, okay, so do you want to, you know, accept Jesus into your heart and be saved? And I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm thinking about it. And I'm like, all right, sure. Yeah, you know, it sounds good, right? So we do it. We do this prayer thing. We go inside afterwards, and they're asking all the kids, like, where's Jesus? It's so funny. Like, we're all lined up on the wall, right? It's me and all my friends, all my sixth grade friends. We're lined up on the wall. They go one by one. They go, where's Jesus right now? And my friend's like, in heaven? And they're like, okay. Like, I could see their faces, right? Like, okay, okay, I guess. A, that's okay. That's a fine answer, you know? And the next kid, like, where's Jesus right now? And he's like, everywhere. <laughs> like, I can see their faces, their reactions. It's like, no, that's not the right answer, right? But they just move on. It's my turn. Say, like, where's Jesus right now? And I say, in my heart, right? And then the person who asked the question, who was not the person who shared the gospel with me, is like, elated, right? Like, I've never seen them be happier in my life, in the time that I've known this person, this teacher, and they're, like, so happy, and they're, like, hugging me and stuff, you know, like, like good job. You gave the right answer to this question. Now, I don't even know why I said that, <laughs> to be honest. Probably I remember that they told me to say that. Somebody told me to say that at some point, or within that gospel presentation, someone was saying, Jesus is in your heart now, okay? Like, remember that. So later on, when someone comes to ask you, you know, that's how you answer it. Now, I was like 12, um, and basically for the next 10 or 15 years, I was trying to move forward from the gospel, right? Because that's the first time, at least that I remember, that I heard the explicit gospel preached to me. And from that time on, I was just like, okay, I guess I'm officially Christian now whatever that means, you know, I always thought I was Christian. Something has happened at this point. And then I just kept, like, trying to move on from that, you know, and people were, t- okay, people are telling, okay, well, this is what you got to do. You got to, like, read the Bible, you know, and then you got to do this, and now I'm moving on. You're graduating from that. You got to go to m- m- it's missions now, you know, and then now you got to go on missions, and you got to do this, and you got to do that. And, like, way later when I was, like, 25, 26 in ministry, I came all the way back full circle to the gospel. You know, and I kind of finally started listening to, like, Tim Keller. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, the gospel's not the beginning. You know, it's everything. It's the whole thing. If you're a Christian or if you have any notion of the gospel, and if you're here, you probably have some notion of the gospel, the the tendency of us, of our hearts, is to think, yes, I know the gospel. But if the gospel alone is good, then the gospel and some other stuff must be better. You know, yeah, if the gospel alone is good enough for like salvation if it's good enough for entrance into the kingdom of god if it's good enough for entrance into a relationship with god then the gospel and the gospel plus other stuff other truths you know other kind of wisdom other things in the world if if it's all put together if you if you kind of just shove all that into a bag and you stick it all together, then I got, you know, I got more in my bag than just the gospel and that must be better than just the gospel. That's kind of the the tendency of our hearts. And yet, what the Bible tells us is that's not true. The gospel and is not better than the gospel alone. The gospel alone is, is far better than the gospel, and and you know we've been in a series called Trading Up. Um, essentially, it's been about the notion that it's been about kind of trading our often worldly, um, but just these tendencies that we have, these these things that we think, for the things that the Bible says. And oftentimes, and the reason it's called training up is because sometimes we feel like when we're becoming more Christian, we're trading down. You know, like we're giving up a lot of the things that we enjoy or that we like or that we think are good, and we're just kind of doing it because we have to so that we can become Christian. But that's not the idea at all. The things we give up pale in comparison to the things that we gain in Christ. And the thing that we'll talk about today, and we're actually closing up this series today, is, you know, one of the most pivotal, it's, it is probably the most pivotal, the most central thing that we must understand as Christians for us to live as Christians. And so, what, you know, we're going to talk about that notion. Why is the gospel alone better than the gospel and, you know, like and, dot, dot, dot? <laughs> if you guys know what I'm saying. But, um, So if you guys have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up. Let's open them up to uh, Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, and we'll start in um, verse 6. Galatians 1, verse 6 to 12. And we'll be be bouncing around Scripture a little bit today, but um, we'll start here. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 12. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of jesus christ okay so three things the gospel is you know why the gospel alone is better than the gospel and first thing the gospel alone is true the gospel alone is true while the gospel and is only partly true now uh Paul here, he's addressing the church at Galatia and there has been some heresy essentially coming up in at the church at Galatia. And what's happening is that there are these people called the Judaizers and what they are claiming is that the gospel alone is not enough for salvation. So what's happened is – and it, so they're not denying the gospel, right? They're not saying that, oh, the gospel is wrong. They're not saying that Jesus Christ didn't die on the cross. They're not saying that, you know, he didn't – even rise again from the dead. But what they are saying is that faith in that alone is not enough for salvation. So they're looking at the Gentiles, and they're kind of looking down on the Gentiles. You know, the Jews, these are basically Jewish Christians— kind of early Jewish Christians, that's the way that we could think of it, or at least that's what they're trying to be. And yet their doctrine is that, well, Gentiles, if you want to become Christians, then you guys have to get circumcised. You have to kind of follow all of our traditions and all of our laws and all that stuff. Yes, you also have to believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins, that he rose again from the dead. you got to put your faith in him for salvation. But you also have to adopt all of our laws, all of our traditions. You have to kind of become like us. And if you don't become like us, then, then it's, it's simply not enough. So they have adopted this gospel and mentality. Yes, the gospel, but also here are some other things that are necessary for life. Here are some other things that are necessary for salvation. Now, Paul uses here two words for when he says turning to a different gospel, not that there is another one. So those words, sometimes it's translated another, another, but he's saying in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, not that there is another one. He's saying you're turning to and, and basically this could be translated because the words are used similarly like you're turning to another gospel, not that there is another gospel. He's saying you're turning to a, a different gospel, not that there is a gospel, an actual another, real gospel. So the gospel, the quote-unquote gospel, basically, that you're turning to, that you have gone toward, is not the real gospel. It's not actually true. Paul, when he talks about his gospel, he's saying, I don't care who else comes and preaches a different gospel. It doesn't matter. That's not the true gospel, the one that we already preached He says, even if I say I'm going to deliver a different gospel, he's saying it doesn't matter. That's not the true gospel. The true gospel is the one that we've preached about Jesus, about his life, about his death, about his resurrection, about, you know, uh, salvation by grace alone, you know, through faith alone. That's the only gospel that there is. And he says, even if an angel comes, that's not the true gospel. Right? He says, I didn't I didn't receive this gospel from men. I wasn't taught this gospel. This gospel was not invented by some person. It's from Jesus himself. This is the true gospel. This is the message I received, and so this is the message I also give. You know, I used to um, – so I, I remember, uh, you know, a while back. This is actually many years ago now. Many years ago, I went to Central America several times. You know, and I went on these mission trips there. And one of the things we would do there is we would, um, we would share the gospel. And so we would, uh, we would go to basically university campuses, or, well, we would go to the University of – was it the University of Guatemala? What? What's the – <laughs> but it was this big campus, and it was in, like, Guatemala City. So we went there, and we went with a team of people from here, And then also a team of people from Honduras. So we went to Honduras first. We did some ministry there. And some of the Hondurans came with us to Guatemala to do ministry there. And, you know, at at one point, my um, evangelism partner was this, like, kid from Guatemala, I mean, from Honduras. And um, he was, like, I mean, he was, was like, he's probably, what, like, 14, 15, something like that. And um, obviously, he has a language advantage, you know, on me. So when we're going there, he would do a lot of the talking. And he would always use this one particular uh, kind of illustration. Because we all had these, like, Nalgene water bottles. This is before Hydro Flask, guys. So, you know, we all, we all had these, like, water bottles, right? And um, he would always take our water bottles, and he would say, like, do you see this water? You know, he, he used this to illustrate sin. He was like, you see this water? And he would even like drink it. He'd drink the water He'd be like, oh, it's so like refreshing. And he's like, If I have if I put a drop of urine, you know, into this water, like, would you drink it? Right? Even if it was just like a tiny drop. Right? And obviously the people are like, no, you know I would not I w I wouldn't I wouldn't drink that. And the reason he would use this example is because often we would talk about whether we're good enough on our own for salvation. And he's saying, Well, you know, even if you have a a drop of sin that the whole thing is, is tainted. I mean, it's like, you wouldn't drink a, you wouldn't drink a cup of water that had just one drop of urine, right. Or one particle of feces, you know, you wouldn't drink that. Right. It's like, no, I wouldn't drink that. I had to throw that in there. Cause some of you, I don't know. I'm a little que- questioning <laughs> whether you drink the urine water or not. Well, you know, it's like, that, that's the idea. And the thing is, that's kind of like the truth. That's kind of how the truth is, right? The truth is great when it's 100%, when it's 100% truth. But mixing lies into the truth doesn't make a more powerful truth, even though it does often make a more compelling lie. See, everything that the world sells us isn't just a thing, right? I alluded to this last week. But what the world sells us is false gospel. It's not just, you know, it's not just information, right? There is a purpose to it. They're selling you something, right? Every, this is what every ad does, right? Like Coke sells being a part of a community, often the global community. I don't know if you guys have noticed that, right? It's like, why is there names on Cokes? What, what is that all about, right? Like, uh, like, what does that matter? Who cares? You know, this whole give a Coke idea, it's like they're selling like friendship. Coke's been doing that forever. we the way back in the day when they had all the people of the world holding ads, singing the Coke song. That's what Coke's been selling for years. right? McDonald's sells friendliness and familiarity. When you watch a McDonald's commercial, they want you to be like, ah, oh, McDonald's, right? Like those colors, that Coke, those fries, I know it, right? It's like familiar. Budweiser sells like, America, you know, and like tradition and, you know, freedom, probably, Clydesdales. I don't know. That's, what, that's like what Budweiser sells, right? It's like very America. Corona sells vacation, perpetual vacation. That's why nobody ever wears shoes. That's why it's always on a beach. Honda sells helpfulness and reliability. You know, Whole Foods sells healthiness and environmental consciousness. That's where all their bags are green. Apple sells a premium lifestyle. That's why y'all buy it, right? They don't sell products, right? They sell gospel. Now, I mean, it doesn't matter. Like, none of these things are evil, you know? Like, none of them, in and of themselves, are inherently evil. Being health conscious or popular or caring about having nice things, buying things is not evil. But here's the thing believing. That any of these things or even other things, like health or family, are necessary along with Jesus will certainly lead us to evil. Like it will lead us to greed and deception and a refusal to risk. It will lead us to comfort and complacency and selfishness. And we'll feel justified in doing so because we will believe that whatever that particular thing is, we need it it's gospel we need it as much as we need jesus and eventually the truth of the gospel becomes diluted with the lies of these false gospels that pure water that you had that was truth it becomes tainted by a bunch of other stuff that other people are saying all around. And now you don't just have the gospel standing alone. You have the gospel standing with many other equal truths that the world tells you. Many of, many of the time, these are good things, but they should not be equal to the truth of the gospel. The gospel alone is truth. Here's the second thing. The gospel alone is good news. The gospel alone is good news. The gospel alone offers, I would say, good news, while the gospel and offers only good advice. The word gospel, that word, the word in the Greek, evangelion, it simply means good news. That's what it means. Now, the false gospel that the the Judaizers here are peddling, the one that they're saying something must be added to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, That's not good news at all, right? The idea that, hey, Jesus died for your sins, and then, you know, he resurrected from the dead, and if you have faith in him, then you have eternal life. But also, here's a bunch of also stuff that you have to do to earn your salvation. That's not good news. That's not good news at all. It, It turns your life into a bunch of, Advice. Can we um <laughs> Can you go for a couple slides? Next one. Next one. <laughs> one more. Yeah, thank you. Uh the gospel is good news. This is a quote from this is a quote from the aforementioned Tim Keller. But it says, uh because the gospel is news, good news, it is to be announced. That is what one does with news. The essential Uh, heraldic element in preaching is bound up with the fact that the core message is not a code of ethics to be debated, still less a list of aphorisms to be admired and pondered, and certainly not a systematic theology to be outlined and uh, schematized. Though it properly grounds ethics, aphorisms, and systematics, it is none of these three. It is news, good news, and therefore must be publicly announced. Can you go to the next slide? Advice is counsel about what you must do. News is a report about what has already been done. Advice urges you to make something happen. News urges you to recognize something that has already happened and to respond to it. Advice says it is all up to you to act. News says someone else has acted. And oftentimes, like, a lot of times this is what we think Christianity is. It is something that's just predicated on you, right? Now, it doesn't mean that as Christians we don't do anything. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't have effort or discipline, obviously, but those things are in response to something that's already happened, not something that we are creating on our own out of nowhere, right? It's not something that we need to build up in ourselves, and it's not something that we do to earn something from God. It's the opposite. We do it because We don't have to earn anything from God. We do it because of what he has already done for us. Life comes from belief in what God has already done, not in what you have to do or who you will become. That's the gospel. The gospel is good news, not good advice. Now, don't get me wrong. Good advice isn't bad. Okay, and we can find good advice all over the place. We can find good advice in the world. We can find good advice in people older than us who have been through things that we haven't been through the, before. You know, We can find good advice also you know, in Scripture. But good advice without good news just turns terrible over time. The good news is that life is a response to God's favor, not a resume to earn it. We are urged to respond to the gospel because God has already acted first. So, I was thinking back to when I used to live at home with my parents. Towards the end <laughs> of living at home with my parents before I got married, um, I remember like my my parents used to nag me like so much. It just got it just got crazy, like, at a certain point. And I felt like it was, like, a weird... It's when you get to that weird, like, place in your life where you're kind of, like, old, you know? Like, you're you're kind of old enough to to be out on your own, but you're not quite out on your own yet. And, you know, I just felt like it was just this constant, like, you need to do this, and you need to do that, and you need to, you know, live this way, and you need to be more, you know, responsible, like this and this and that. And sometimes... I think that's what we think Christianity is. You know, entering into a relationship with God is. It's a lot of, like, holy nagging. You know, it's like God knows what's up. He's the one who tells us how to live in the world, and so he's constantly just, like, saying stuff to us. Well, this is what you should do. You know, you should you should do this and you should do that and this is how you should live and that's how you should live. And maybe the reason that I struggle with that with God cuz I do in my own relationship with God at times like I feel like that's what it can become and then I start thinking about my life in terms of all those things am I doing all the right things all the time? And then I start sending that out to you know to the people in my life like oh I'll do that to you know my kids or I'll do that to Boomy or I'll do that to my parents. You know, it just becomes like a a nag fest. You know, that's just what it is. And we're constantly all doing that to one another all the time. But that's really not what Christianity is supposed to be. That's not what God wants from us. That's not what God wants for us. When we are focused on what we must do in addition to what Christ has done, when those two things are on the same level, Because I'm not saying there's nothing for us to do, and I'm not saying there aren't things that we must do. But when those things are on the same level, like what God has done for us and what we are supposed to do with our lives, we tend to feel very burdened, right? Like we tend to feel often overwhelmed. We have a long to-do list. Did you ever have this? Like you have a long to-do list and nothing's done on it? Does that ever like freak you out? It, it, it does to me. It makes me not want to do anything, right? Like, if I have a 20-item-long to-do list and, like, nothing is done on it, it doesn't make me want to, like, start. I'm just like, oh, my gosh, I don't want to forget this, right? Like, I don't want to do this. Like, your to-do list, if you think that you can earn something from God, is going to be more than 20 items. It's going to be an infinite number of items. That's what you feel you will have to do for God that's what you will put on other people and think that's what they have to do. When we focus on what Christ has done, however, we tend to feel uplifted. We feel strong. We feel at peace. We feel at home. Now, there's there's an issue here, a tension here, what happens is we start to think, if God loves me no matter what, why should I obey him? You know, why should I live in obedience? If the one true gospel is about what God has already done, why should I be concerned about what I should do, you know, how I should live? And if you ever have that question, let me just tell you, that's a good question. Like, that's a right question. You shouldn't run from that question, you know, Um, And you shouldn't dismiss that question, but rather you should embrace that question because if fear of hell or obligation are the only things that drive obedience, and those are motivations, by the way. Like the Bible even talks about those things. But if those are the only things that drive our obedience, then we're missing the best part of what Jesus offered. And I wouldn't be surprised if you feel incredibly overwhelmed or often guilty Uh, because follow Jesus so you don't have to go to hell. You know, that's not good news. Follow Jesus because it's the right thing to do. That's not good news. Jesus loves you so much that he gave himself up for you. That's good news. So we follow him not to pay him back because we can't. We follow him because we can trust that he won't lead us astray because he never has and he never will. We follow him because following him leads to a joy in life that's even greater than our fear of death. We follow him because following him leads to doing the right things, even when they might not lead to health and wealth and popularity, because following him even into discomfort and suffering lead paradoxically to a greater joy and an ease that riches cannot buy. The gospel alone is good news, and it's the good news you need. It's the, it's the news we need every single day to be empowered in our hearts. Here's a third thing, final thing I'll say about this passage. Uh, the gospel alone, and in fact, we'll look at another passage, but the gospel alone is unifying while the gospel and is divisive. The gospel alone is unifying while the gospel and is divisive. See, the gospel alone, when, when the gospel stands alone, when I say the gospel alone, I don't mean that you can't have, you know, other things and there's nothing else to explore besides just the central message of the gospel, right? That Jesus came, that he lived, that he died, that he resurrected from the dead, that if we put our faith in him, We'll have eternal life. Like, that central message, I'm not saying that that's just the one message you should post up on your wall and just think about all day. But when that is kind of the central message, then two things happen, okay? First, it helps us to make sense of the Bible, okay? Because that is the central tenet of Scripture. So everything in the Bible helps us to better understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everything in the Old Testament gives context to what Jesus has accomplished, So if you go back to creation, you go back to, you know, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, you know, all the patriarchs, Joseph, go through Moses, go through the whole, everything that Israel has been through, you know, Joshua and the conquest, right? All the kings, you know, the major, minor prophets, everything you go through the entire history of Israel, it gives context. It helps us to better understand what Jesus has done. Right? It helps us to see that God had made promises about Jesus thousands of years before he was born. And, and you see those promises coming into you know, fruition as, as God lives in relationship with his people, an entire nation of people. Right? You see how all those things work out and everything after Jesus, obviously the gospels themselves are about the life of Christ. And everything after that is the church trying to apply what Jesus has done. To their life, to their church, to their community, to their world, to the people around them, to the new mission that God gives them, it is the one central message that is applicable to everything in our lives. That's largely what we see in the New Testament. We see the gospel playing out. Uh, we see the the church working out the implications of the gospel in Acts and through the epistles and what it means for us now in light of what Christ has done. Can you go to the next slide? Uh, This is Galatians 2, right? So just a little bit after. Uh, But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. So that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So in, in verse 14, that phrase, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, See for Paul there's just one thing he has one message like one mantra for his life one thing to live by he only needs that one thing it's the gospel of jesus christ right when he lives his life he's going to ask himself the question am i living in step with the truth of the gospel and that to have one thing govern your entire life like that is very unifying Like, do you ever feel like your life is scattered? Like your brain bounces back and forth between many different kind of, like, versions of yourself, right? Like there's school you and there's work you and there's, like, the way you treat your parents and the way you treat your friends and the way you treat your, you know, your husband or wife and the way you treat your kids, you know, and the way you treat, like, just the people in your life, your coworkers. And there's, like, different versions of you, right? There's, like, work you. You know, at work, you're like this certain type of person. You're either, you know, maybe you're very extroverted normally, but at work, you're very introverted. And you're just like, I just need to put my head down, get my work done, get out of here, get home. That's how I was. I mean, I'm introverted generally, but when I'm at work, I just be like, all right, I'm just, this is back in the day when I also, you know, worked a normal job. And I just be like, all right, I'm just going to like get my work done. You know, I'm just going to focus on this one thing. I'm okay, this is what I got to do. I got to grade these things. Or I got to teach these kids. You know, I'm just going to do this. And then at home, I would be this completely other person with my parents. And then at, uh, I would be out. I'd be this completely other person with my friends. I would be at, like, random gym, you know, pick up basketball. I'd be, like, this completely other person, you know. And then at Starbucks, I'd be this completely other person because at each of those places, I had a different purpose, because when I went to the gym, I just went there to work out. When I went to work, I just went there to make money. When I was at home, I just wanted to feel comfortable. When I was out with my friends, I just wanted to relax. When I was at church, though, I was a pastor, and so I acted like a pastor. And Paul's like, that's no way to live life. It's like, you, you, don't, you shouldn't have 20 different purposes in life. You just have one purpose in life to live in step with the gospel, to advance the gospel. That's how Paul looks at his entire life. You know, Philippians 1, when he's like, I'm in chains, and he's like, it's a good thing that I'm in chains because the gospel is advancing through my chains. He says, even if I live or die, it doesn't matter. To live is Christ, to die is gain, whatever. Either way, God's glorified. Either way, the gospel will move forward. See, the problem is if you have the gospel and if the gospel's good for you on Sunday at church, but then the rest of your life, you got other things going on. You have other things that are important. Here's the thing. What's going to happen when the gospel gets in the way of you making money? When it gets in the way of you being comfortable, when it gets in the way of you having fun? Well, you're going to get lost. You're going to feel confused. And you're going to feel pulled and torn into many different directions. On the flip side, when the gospel is the one unifying message in our hearts, we will feel less and less of a burden to have to switch gears every time we change contexts. I'm in friend mode. I'm in servant mode. You know, I'm in leader mode. I'm in, you know son mode or daughter mode, you will feel free to live under one unifying banner for your life. So, you know, the the thing is for me, it's like under the one true gospel, you're a former sinner condemned to death who has been graciously forgiven and accepted by the God of the universe. So, yeah, I'm, a, I'm still a husband. Like, while I'm a husband, I can't forget that I'm a husband, that, that before I'm a husband, I'm a sinner condemned to death who has been forgiven and accepted by the creator of the universe. You know what I'm saying? Like, before I'm a pastor, I'm I'm that. And before I'm a father, I'm that. And before I'm a friend, I'm that. As we allow the gospel to have more and more influence over our lives, our lives and our vision and our passion, do you ever feel like, man, I really want to discover what I'm meant to do in this world, like my vision and my passion? I'll tell you, if you put the gospel in the place where it's supposed to be, where it stands alone as the central guiding principle for your heart, I guarantee you that that passion and that vision will start to take shape When you get what Jesus has done, it affects everything. Your history becomes testimony rather than a past. Your work is simply the venue through which and in which you will live out your purpose. Your family becomes a model of the gospel and its faithfulness, the demonstration of the need of the gospel and its brokenness and the experience of the gospel as you forgive and are forgiven in it. The gospel changes everything. It really does. It changes challenges into opportunities. Failure into just a part of your story. Hardship into witness. Weakness into glory. (laughs) It will reach people that you think it can never reach. Look at Kanye West. I'm not saying that he's a Christian or not. (laughs) because <laughs> I don't know. Two things, okay? So we're going we're gonna to close with, uh, I mean, we're going to have communion today. Um, I just want to say a couple things before we go into a time of communion. Okay, two implications of the gospel that we celebrate in communion. Um, one, you matter. You know, you matter to God. Right? What we celebrate in communion is the fact that Jesus has given up you know the bread is representative of the body of Christ that is that was broken for us you know the 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 juice is <laughs> the wine it's supposed to be wine you know is representative of the blood of Christ that has been shed for us. And this is, a, this is something that we step into to remember, hey, you know, wow, it's incredible to, to know that I matter to God. Like, you know, it's incredible to know that we are valuable to God, that we are his children. Um, even that he has something for us to do in this world, that he wants to hear from us, that he wants to speak to us every day. And the second thing that we celebrate in communion, and this is – you know, also in scripture, but is that you belong. You know, now it's, I know it's easy um, to feel like we don't sometimes, you know, particularly when we do feel like scattered, when we feel like there's a lot going on in the world. But in fact, I think the, th- the, the fact that we feel like we don't belong sometimes is one of the things that reminds us how much we do belong. You know, one of the things that actually binds us the most together is the fact that we're in need. You know, we need Christ, and Christ is here for us. Um, You know, the fact that we're not supremely confident about ourselves, uh, the fact that we need to be loved and accepted because we do need love and acceptance, that is one of the things that Christ offers us in the gospel. And as we partake of communion look there's nothing magic here, like nothing magic is going to happen, you know um, I guess depending upon well people have different views, but <laughs> my view is nothing magic is happening here. This is something we do symbolically you know to that represents what Christ has done for us, and the Bible commands us to do it so we can remember him, but you know nothing magic happens in like worship either, or right now as the word is being preached in one sense, nothing magic is happening in another sense something magic is happening you know and so uh i would say if you're not sure where you stand with god um you know please just abstain from this this is something that's meant for believers i would encourage you to spend some time maybe in meditation and prayer praise to you. you guys can come up by the way um and um you know because god really does want to have fellowship with you he wants you to to kind of uh, have this time with him but for those of us who will be partaking um you know, as we take the bread, let's remember the sacrifice that Christ has made for us. As we take, you know, the the fruit of the vine, let's remember the blood that has been shed for us. And let's even make it a time when we can commit to greater belief, you know, to greater fellowship. And kind of to a, to a greater desire uh, to make the gospel central in our lives. And so I'm actually going gonna, gonna to read from 1 Corinthians 11. Uh, 23 through 26 first and then um, i'll pray for us and then um, as the worshiping plays please feel free um, to whenever you feel ready step to the back and you can grab a, a piece of the bread and um, a cup and take it at your seat uh, but this is first corinthians 11:23 through 26 if i receive from the lord what i also delivered to you that the lord jesus on the night when he t- when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. let's pray together. God, thank you so much that you love us so much that you would give up your own son for his body, his flesh to be torn, for his blood to be spilt on our behalf. God, thank you so much that that blood covers over all of our sin, past, present, and future. God, that you are more than sufficient to cover over all of our unrighteousness with your righteousness. Thank you, God, that you bind us together in that we are all forgiven sinners if we just turn to you in faith. God, and we pray that as we enter into this time of communion, would you make it uh, a real time of fellowship, God, fellowship with you, uh, fellowship with one another and community. And we pray, God, that your spirit would be present and that you would remind us of just how much you love us. We entrust it to you. We thank you so much. We love you. Jesus, and we pray.